You can be seated. Well, good morning. So glad you guys are here today. My name is James. If you would, a lot of ground to cover. Grab your Bible today and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. Oh, that's me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to start there. We're going to look at Numbers chapter 14. After you find Numbers, stick a pen, a piece of paper, something in there, and actually flip over to Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 to 18. That's the text on your outline. That's what we're going to tackle today. For so many of us, we've been in this now for seven, eight months. We're walking chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through Paul's letter to the churches that he planted here in this Galatian region. And we've been walking through with this in mind, with, with the end, with the finish line. There's an end goal. And you probably couldn't have imagined that the end goal would be to wind up in the book of Numbers. But stick with me. We're going to bring this back around, hopefully, and it'll be really clear why we're going to hang out there today. My prayer coming into this study, my hope for all of us in this church, would be that by the time we got to the finish line, we'd really take these things that we've learned and apply them in our lives. And so as a church, we would be different. Because as individual Christ followers, we'd be different. Because we'd all have a clearer understanding of God's grace. And we'd recognize that God desires the very best for us. And he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to make a way for us to be reconciled with God. And then we'd have the kind of relationship with him that he desires for every one of us. And Paul explains it this way in this letter. He says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, if you're a Christ follower, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. He says, therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And the yoke of slavery that Paul's talking about would be returning to a problem that the Galatians struggled with, that many of us struggle with today, and it's that we think we somehow need to earn God's grace. See, it wasn't really for freedom, an abundant life that God set us free. It was so that we could keep a bunch of rules and try to be good people. And if we aren't, then God may punish us. Can I go to this microphone over here? Would that be better? You can just shut me off on the wireless. Hey, looky there. We'll try this. Hopefully I won't bother you. But that's the idea. We're headed towards abundance. We're headed towards freedom. And we don't want God to just take his ball and go home and leave us out in the dark And what happened is Paul was so radically changed by his experience, his encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ, and and then he was privy to audacious, you know, just ridiculous, incredible, amazing grace. And so that changed him. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote this letter and a bunch of other letters to the other churches that he planted because he was desperate to have people that he loved understand grace and freedom in Christ. So Paul's burden for these people was the same burden that I have together as we finish up this study, as we come to the finish line. And you see up here today, today's a finish what we've started moment as a church. And this is incredibly important for us because when you come to a finish line, what are you supposed to do? And when you get to here, do you just stop and look at it? Are you supposed to burst through and break the tape and experience the exhilaration and raise your arms and live in joy? Because at the finish line is where the effort that we put in to run the race pays off in the form of peace and rest and abundance. We want to experience that. If you're a runner, and again, I would say why, but Paul liked you folks. He used this running analogy often, and this is always a valid question to ask, I think. If you're a runner, 
and you're training for a big race, and you've put in all the effort, and you've fought through, you know, shin splints and sore knees and running in the extreme heat and the freezing cold, and now all of a sudden you come to the finish line, and it's near and you can see it? I mean, what would you do? Would you just stop? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Would you get real close to the finish line and then turn around and come back the other way? That'd be ridiculous, right? The risk of sounding foolish, let me ask this question. Do you know why the chicken crossed the road? I mean, call me Captain Obvious on this one, but if abundant life was on the other side of the road, then I get it. I understand why. We want to cross to the other side because that's where the life is. And so here's the deal for us. This works if you're a chicken or not. It's ludicrous to stop in the middle of the road. You'll get run over, right? It's ludicrous to go two-thirds of the way or three-quarters of the way across the road and stop in the shoulder on the other side and then just pitch a tent there. I'll just camp out and stay here. That doesn't make any sense. Once we see this abundance in front of us, once we're together on this journey, we don't want to stop until we get to the end, right? We're going to finish our study today in the book of Galatians by walking through these last seven verses. But what we want to do is finish strong. We want to sprint through the finish line and live in the abundance that God desires for us. And so our real end goal, our big question is, do we understand God's grace? In Acts 20, verse 32, Dr. Luke records Paul's words where Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. There's your question. At the end of this journey together, are we letting God's grace build us up? Do we understand that grace is why Christ followers receive the inheritance that we've talked about, that we're co-heirs with Christ? It's grace. It's not because we're so cool or so smart or so anything we could do on our own. Here's another question that's on the final Do we understand what living in freedom looks like? Where we don't try to earn God's favor or work for salvation. And we for sure don't treat Christian liberty as that's just permission to do whatever we want to do because God will forgive us so we can do whatever we want. In John 10 and chapter 10, Jesus summarizes his journey on this planet very well. And we should be in awe. And we should be so thankful that Jesus didn't come up to the finish line and pull up and stop before he bursts through. Here's what he says. He says, the thief, this is our enemy, this is Satan, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, why, Jesus? For what purpose? He says that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's other translations say we can have it to the full. This is it. If we're Christ followers, then we receive grace. That's how salvation comes. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we got to understand God's greatest desire is that we would know him and then experience the abundance and the full life that comes from grasping grace. So how are we going to apply that truth in light of this study we've done together? Because understanding grace should change the way that all of us experience abundance. Because now as Christ followers, we can move from this life where we say things like, well, I got to do this, or I got to do that to earn God's favor. We can get rid of that because we're not going to earn grace. And we can change to saying, man, I get to do this thing. 
I get to do that thing because that thing is part of God's plan for me. That's breaking the tape. That's crossing the line. That's where the real life is. So before we walk through the rest of Galatians chapter 6, let's look at this passage in Numbers 14 just for a couple minutes because it's going to underscore the importance of breaking the tape, of finishing up strong, of applying all these things that we've learned in Galatians so we can live in abundance. Now, a lot of you are going to know this story, but let me set the scene just a little bit. This is God's chosen people. This is the Israelites. And they've been captive in Egypt. And this wasn't a picture of slavery. This was slavery. This was real bondage. But God came. He showed up and he rescued them. He used his servant, Moses, and he starts them off on this journey. So the Israelites are the chicken crossing the road. Only the road is a desert. But they're crossing to get to the other side because on the other side of the tape is life, is abundance. It's called a land of milk and honey. It's this picture of living in freedom and abundance. God calls it the promised land. And they're on the way, but what happens? They get bogged down. And they basically just stop in the middle of the road. Rest and abundance is in their sight. It's over in the promised land, but they don't go in. Now, we're telling the short version of this story. You need to read the rest of the story in your Bible. It's phenomenal. So they're there, and God has Moses send some spies into the promised land. He wants them to come back and give a report about how great it is just over the finish line. See if the things that God has said are true if the land figuratively does flow with milk and honey, you know, is, is there good pasture land for the animals? And Will things grow there? See, since 12 spies, 10 of them come back and they say, are you crazy? People over there are giants. We shouldn't go in. But Caleb and Joshua, they say that land is amazing and God will be with us. We need to finish crossing the road. We need to go over there because that's where the abundant life is but they don't go. And that brings us to Numbers chapter 14. And this is what it looks like to not break the tape, not live in freedom, not grasp grace, and just decide to hang out in the middle of the road. Numbers 14, 1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we died in the land of Egypt, or that we died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Okay, so first they just want to stand in the road and get run over. But then they decide it would be better to just go back into slavery. Go back to living in bondage. There's no freedom there whatsoever. So what do the leaders do? It's the folks that God has placed with the Israelites to lead them to abundance. Look at verse 5. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, they were so worked up they tore their clothes. They spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying this, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Looks nice over the finish line. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into that land and he'll give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. 
And again, this is figurative, but that's where the abundance is. That's where peace and rest with the Lord is. We know this because of the next verse, starting in verse 9. They warn him, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear these huge people of the land for they'll be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. I wonder what else they could have stoned them with. Leaders are saying this land is good. God is going to give it to us. We got to finish our journey. There's this huge adventure in front of us. Let's not stop. Let's not stop in the middle of the road. For heaven's sake, let's not turn around. And today we need to understand, Paul's saying the same thing to the churches in Galatia. Please don't return to bondage. Please don't come up to the finish line and stop and then turn around. Let's finish this journey strong. Because his worry was the Galatians were not going to live in abundance. They were not going to live in freedom They were going to end up in that place where they came up to the finish line and said, well, gosh, I guess we don't have to earn grace, so I won't. I won't do anything. I'll just take the fact that God will forgive me, and I'll do stuff I shouldn't even be doing. And here's where we really need to grasp the application of this letter. If we want to live in freedom, if we want to truly understand grace, we're going to bust through the tape, and we're going to live in abundance. We'll understand that that's what God desires for us. And here's what it looks like. We will give and serve and love and be in small groups and live in community and share our faith and do all these things, not because we have to, but because we get to. That's where the abundance is. We get to do those things together. And so we'll never have to say, well, I have to serve. I have to evangelize. I get to serve. I get to share my faith. That's how we'll live. So flip back to Galatians with me. And Paul finishes up this letter, and these are his personal thoughts. And then a big reminder, don't turn back to slavery. Live in the freedom that God wants. Let's break the tape together. And that might be the longest introduction ever. So let's look at verse 11 of chapter 6, and we'll walk through the rest of this letter together. And Paul shares, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. So up to this point in time, Paul's been dictating this letter, which was a common practice back then. But here in verse 11, he takes the pen himself, and basically he just starts shouting. There have been theologians and commentators over the years who've come to the conclusion that Paul's thorn in his flesh is some kind of problem that affects his eyesight. And so that's why he uses these large letters. But honestly, this could simply just be for emphasis here. If this is modern day, Paul's typing, and he's all caps and using the bold and the italics and the underline. He's really shouting here because what he's saying is, this is really important that you hear this. This is like a high-level summary of his entire case of salvation by grace through faith. And I think personally he probably takes the pen as a way of authenticating that he's the author of this letter. But he's writing himself now, and so the first thing he deals with shouldn't be a big surprise to us. He attacks legalism. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. He said, For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. 
Now, circumcision's been a big part of Paul's argument up to this point in time. In the Old Testament, circumcision was like the physical external indicator of being pure and clean before the Lord. But then Jesus comes, and Christ comes so Christ's followers can receive grace and live in abundance, and we don't need circumcision as an indicator of our salvation anymore. So Paul's preaching this, and the Judaizers come along, and they want to make a good impression outwardly. So that's what they're preaching. They say, salvation, yeah, that's really in Jesus, plus this external thing. You need to be circumcised. It's Jesus plus obeying these Old Testament laws. And Paul says, no, that's legalism. That's somebody trying to force you back into bondage. That's like saying you need to go back to Egypt to be a slave. And Paul says the reason the Judaizers are pushing circumcision is that they themselves won't be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Judaizers felt all along they could soften the offense of the cross if they'd just get folks to believe, well, it's a both and. It's salvation in Christ, and you have to do these certain things. If you remember, we preached on this for a whole week. We said the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive because it highlights our total inability to add anything to our salvation. So the Judaizers want to come along and take the sting out of that. Well, that's, that's a dangerous thing. They're teaching, yeah, if salvation's Jesus on the cross, plus you have to do some stuff. Well, as soon as we start preaching you have to do some stuff, then honestly we're mocking God. We're minimizing Jesus. We're minimizing what happened on the cross, and we're taking away the scandal. That's why we've said you can't add anything to salvation. And Paul says these false teachers, they're hypocrites because they're asking other people to be circumcised to keep the law, and he says they don't even keep the whole law. You remember we walked through that for a couple weeks. What's the difference between keeping the law, which is a good thing, and being under the law, which is a really troubling thing? This is huge for all of us in understanding grace. This is one of the questions on the final. Are we under the law or are we under grace? Because if we say we're under the law, then that's the point Paul's making. Okay, then you've got to keep the whole law. You have to keep it 100% of the time, which is impossible. But if you say you want to be under grace, then you have to be under grace all the time. So do we want to try and keep the law perfectly and be judged by that? Or do we want to be under grace and find our righteousness in someone other than ourselves? Paul's saying these Judaizers, they want to boast in how many folks they could get to move away from the true gospel and choose to live under the law. Now look where Paul goes next in verse 14. This gives you a glimpse into his heart his understanding of God's love and his motivation for sharing the true gospel. He explains this, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I think we make light of the cross. I don't know if we mean to sometimes, but crucifixion, the Greek word, the crux, where we get that word crucifixion, it's talking about the cross it was such a horrible form of execution. It literally was so despised that the Roman people back in Paul's day wouldn't even say the word out loud. If we want to get even just some sense of how offensive the idea of the cross was to the Romans, imagine going down south here in the United States and talking out loud about lynching. You'd get the same type of cringeworthy expressions. And the thing is that Paul says that's what he's going to boast in, the lynching of Christ. 
Now keep your finger there in Galatians 6 and flip back to the book of Romans. And we'll have these up on the screen. But we're going to look at a few verses here, and there's some good stuff to underline. And let's start in chapter 3. Paul wrote this letter as well, probably eight or nine years after he wrote the letter to the Galatians. And he wrote this to these people who wouldn't even say the word cross. They wouldn't even talk about crucifixion, this thing that Paul's boasting about. If you want to see a phenomenal example of grace applied, just look in these verses. We'll have them on the screen, as I said. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. This would be a good one to underline. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. How does it come, Paul? Through faith. Who's it for? For all those who believe. It says, for there's no distinction. Paul says, if you want to see the righteousness of God, it's not in the law. The law and the prophets, they witness it, but they don't offer it. What does? And Paul makes it crystal clear. He says, it's faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then he says, without distinction. What does that mean? Keep reading in verse 23. He says, there's no distinction because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So being justified is a gift by his grace. How does it come, Paul? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now let me make just a little bet with you before we walk through this, and I'm I'm not a betting guy. I'm going to bet there's not more than two people in this room who used the word propitiation in a sentence this week, right? You you weren't at work or you didn't have something come up. You weren't changing a tire and say to your buddy, hey, propitiate me that lug wrench over there. It's just not a word we use very often. What does that word mean? Why is it critical in this huge explanation of the fact that grace is a gift from God and it's available through Jesus Christ? We need to understand that word to really comprehend how incredible a gift grace is to understand how wonderful it is that God wants us to break through the tape and live in abundance. The idea of propitiation is that our sin angers God. When people do mean things to you, it makes you angry, right? Well, we have to understand our sin makes God angry. Now, I know that's a weird concept to think about because we talk so much about this idea that God is love, and that's true. It's 100% true. God is love. But we can really make a mistake there and think that God is love in the way that we like to think about love. Where we would love somebody so much, we'd want to bail them out of experiencing consequences or circumstances. See, God loves us so much that he won't always bail us out of the consequences. When we sin, when we make bad decisions, God loves us enough to let us learn from those. So God is love, 100% true. But he's also tough love as well. See, God is all love, and he's all justice all at the same time. So because of his nature, because of God's character, sounds like he might have a problem there, right? What's a loving God going to do to someone he loves who deserves justice? Let's use a real example. What about an Old Testament guy like David? We've heard of him, right? He's a pretty big deal in the Old Testament because he's called what? A man after God's own heart. That's nice. It would be a nice way to be recognized, wouldn't it? What else was David? 
He was a guy who slept with another man's wife and then had that guy murdered. Okay. How is God just if David, this murdering adulterer, is a man after God's own heart? Or or since God's love, maybe he just says, oh, it's okay, David. I love you. Don't worry about the consequences of that huge sin in your life. Seriously, how can David be a man after God's own heart? Well, we just read it there in Romans 3. God is 100% just. He is the justifier by grace through redemption that is available in the Sunday school answer, Jesus Christ. So the thing that Paul is boasting about back in Galatians, the cross, that's what he's talking about. The fact that he says he's been crucified with Christ, he no longer lives, Christ lives in him. He's talking about what Christ accomplished on the cross. It applies to Paul. It applies to David as well. It applies to you and me as well. When Christ went to the cross, anybody here in the room had been born at that time? No, pretty much no. So all your sins, all my sins, they were going to be future sins. They're covered on the cross because of God's grace. What about David's sins? Time of the cross, they were all past sins. David and all the Old Testament saints, they're covered on the cross. There's past grace, there's future grace because of the cross. Now you want to see grace applied. We just said David's a murdering adulterer. And we could take a quick time out there, and I'm not going to get in your business too much, but David's a murdering adulterer. What kind of baggage did you come to church with today? You've been living in that spot where you think, well, I'm so bad, God couldn't love me. Seriously? What could be worse than David's baggage? Can grace cover David? Can grace cover you and me? Look at this verse, Romans 8.33. This is an incredible verse for understanding grace. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Can you see someone coming to God and accusing David? Come on, Lord. Guy's a murdering adulterer. And God would respond, yep, he's a bad dude. And that angers me something fierce. But the cross of my son, Jesus Christ, has satisfied my anger. That's propitiation. That's why we need to understand that. God can show us mercy because of his grace. Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, that has us covered for everyone who has faith. So no matter what baggage we're bringing here today, do we understand we have not sinned so horribly that God's grace is not available to us? Because of the cross, because of Christ's finished work on the cross. Think about Paul's life when he was Saul. He was supervising the slaughter of Christians, but because of grace, he became the Apostle Paul. Here's our test. Can we say today, like Paul did, we'll only boast in the cross? What should become of our boasting? That's the thing the Judaizers were doing back in Galatians, boasting about the people they'd led astray. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 27. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Don't do it. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. This would be my prayer for myself, for all of us here as a church, that we would only boast in the cross. I've been so convicted of this this week because I know I've been guilty of this. 
in the past for a long, long time. I used to take every chance I could get to boast about myself. I tried to hide it, but I know that I did. Over the last several years, my boasting has subtly changed. It's just as horrible. But now I catch myself boasting about my wife and my children. And I'm pretty good at it. (laughs) I can hide it in stories and stuff so it seems less obvious, but I know that I do it. And so I've really been convicted of this this week. Because here's the deal. I want to love my kids well. I really do. I want to lead them well. But what's the most important thing for my kids, hands down? It's that they would know Jesus, right? And I can't save them well. I can't save them at all. So my boast needs to be in the cross, right? I'm blessed. I have a great marriage. I really do. Where does my boast need to be in that? The only reason that I have a great marriage is because of Jesus. All my boasting needs to be in the cross. I need to be where Paul is there in Galatians 6, 14, where I take my identity from being crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's press on. Galatians 6, 15. This is a short verse, but in it, Paul summarizes the entire letter. He says, For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. So what is, Paul? He says, but a new creation. So if we profess faith in Jesus Christ, if our boast is in the cross, then he's saying there's no external symbol or practice or religious activity, or honestly, there's no lack of any external symbol or practice or religious activity that means anything in regards to our salvation, in regards to being new in Christ. Stop me if you've heard me say this one before. Salvation's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and this not of our own work. This is what Paul's saying. When we receive that gift, we become a new creation. He continues in verse 16. All those who will walk by this rule, he's saying all the new creations, if you break the tape, here's what's going to happen. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I spent more time in this verse than any of the others this week. This is an incredible verse. Those who walk by what rule, Paul? Grace over the law. Living under grace instead of living under the law. Accepting God's grace. Becoming a new creation in Christ. So this is what happens when we break the tape. This is what happens when we finish the journey. We live in abundance. And Paul says here, we get peace and mercy. And this was so cool. And this is why I spent so much time here. In every other instance in the Bible, when those two words are used together, they're in opposite order. Mercy is always first and then peace. Because, I mean, just think practically, it works that way. Mercy is an act of God, and then peace is the result of that act. Peace is what we get in our lives and in our hearts because of what God has done. But here it's switched, and, and I spent so much time, and I really don't know why. But I studied this Greek word, mercy. It's a neat word. It's eleos. And the reason it's so neat is because if we practically think about it, mercy is the thing that carries our burden, bears our burdens for us. God's grace removes our guilt that comes from sin, but mercy is then the thing that comes in and carries away the misery or the pain that comes from the guilt. And what I thought was so neat, and I don't know if this means anything, but the way that mercy works is it comes in and it switches places. It changes the subject for us, just like peace and mercy are switched here. Now, this is a terrible example, 
but it's the only thing I could think of. So please understand, God's mercy is so much greater and bigger than what I'm about to say. But this would be like a magician who does like a disappearing trick, right? I don't want to spoil the fun for anybody here, but you know the thing doesn't really disappear, right? There's no magic. What the magician does is he takes our focus off the thing he's trying to hide, and he makes us pay attention to something else. Well, that's what mercy does a zillion times over. It changes the subject for us. It changes our focus of attention. Because we're sitting in misery saying, oh, look at my life. Look at what I've done. Look how horrible a person I am. I'm such a bad person. There's no way God could possibly love me. And mercy comes in and says, no, no, wait, look over here. Look at this hand. And what it's really saying is, look at what God has done. Look at the cross and quit focusing on what you've done. Look at what God's done. Live in freedom. Live under grace. Break the tape, and we'll finish with peace and mercy. Paul says this will be for all the believing Galatians, and he also indicates it will be upon the Israel of God. That's the believing Jewish people. He has two different groups in view here because Paul pronounces this blessing upon both of them. The NIV translation doesn't doesn't quite get it right. This is a blessing for both groups. This is just a nod to Paul's huge heart and his concern for true Israel. Because he's talking here about Jewish people who also get grace. They've accepted grace and placed their faith in Jesus. Now he's wrapping up here in verse 17. And Paul writes this, From now on, let no one cause trouble for me. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. So if you remember at the beginning of this letter when Paul's dictating, he's defending himself as an apostle. And he takes like two chapters to make this great defense that he's really a messenger of the true gospel because these false teachers were trying to discredit him. And he made that great defense, but here he's writing on his own, right? And he's shouting, so he just takes the pen and he kind of says, shut up. Just be quiet about trying to make me look bad because I'm all in with Jesus. I've got these scars and these marks all over my body from the persecution that I've been through. Read through the book of Acts. Read First and Second Corinthians. You can get all the details. But Paul's saying, look at these scars. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm boasting in the cross of Christ. And then he closes in verse 18. And this is the kind of prayer that you had to be expecting in a letter that's about understanding grace. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He calls them brethren. I love that. Amen. So Paul's making sure this one last time that these people that he loves understand his desire is they're going to break the tape. They're going to live in grace. They're going to finish the journey and have this abundant joy. And he says that by saying, I want grace to be your portion. Grace is what's going to allow them to live in the freedom that God desires for them. So that's the book of Galatians, right? It's about what God desires for all of us, that we would have a relationship with him. This is for the folks in Galatia that Paul loved. This is for all of us that I love, that God loves. And so we got to ask the questions, do we get it? Before we leave today, let's wrestle with this. Do we understand that God desires full life, true abundance for us if we live under grace? Because God's desire isn't for us to get up close to the finish line and then pull back. It's not to come up close and be able to see the land of milk and honey and then turn around and go the other way. Never experience peace and mercy and abundance. Because he says abundance comes from being a new creation. 
a completely new creation. So let me get a little personal here because this is what's going to help us apply an understanding of grace in our lives. Let me ask, what do you think abundance looks like in regards to serving? What would it look like for us as a church if we break through the tape and we serve the way God wants us to? Because here's what it'll look like if we camp out in the middle of the road. Here's what it'll look like if we don't enter into it. We'll say things like, I have to serve. I have to do this. James told me I've got to serve in the nursery, so I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to hate it. Is that where we want to live, seriously? What if we come right up to the finish line? We're right there, and we can see over it. We can see into the land of milk and honey. But we go, well, you know, I sat through that sermon series in Galatians, and James said I don't have to do anything, so I won't. I won't experience abundance because I don't have to. But what would it look like if we broke through the tape? What would it look like if arms raised high, we broke through the tape, and we grasped abundance? I guarantee we'd say this, I get to serve. God is including me. He gave me at least one specific spiritual gift that I'm supposed to use to build the body. Man, that is unfathomable that God would use me that way. I get to serve. How many of us are living like new creations there? What would it be like if we understood grace in our giving? Now, if we're legalistic, we're going to be camped out back here. We're in the middle of the road, right? And we're going to say, I got to give 10%. That's it. I got to give 10% no matter what. No matter if I've got a great job, I don't have a job, I got to do it. Because if I don't, I'll feel guilty. If I don't, God will be mad at me. But what if we're right there? We're right there, and we can look over and see where the abundance is, and we go, well, I heard James say in that series, I don't have to give to earn God's favor, so I won't. I just won't give. I'll do whatever God says, but, but not if it concerns my money. I'll do whatever I want with my money. Let me just warn you, that's dangerous right there for all of us. That's mocking God because everything we have comes from him. What would it look like if we broke the tape? What would it look like if we lived in the land of milk and honey? I guarantee this, we'd say, I get to give. I get to partner with God. And I'm not obligated to give any particular percentage or any specific amount. I'm just going to pray. And say, God, out of the blessing that you've given me, what do you want me to offer back? It doesn't just have to be about my money, my resources, whatever. What do you want me to do with the things that you've given? Serving, giving. Do we we take these opportunities, the privilege of walking with God in this? What would it look like if we broke the tape in our personal lives, in our quiet times, in our devotional life? we're still under the law, we'll be back here and we'll say, you got to have a quiet time. You just have to. It's got to be at five o'clock in the morning. It has to be this long. You have to pray this long. You got to do it. If you don't do it, God's going to be upset. If you do it, you'll have a better day, I guarantee, than if you don't. And that may be the case. <laughs> but hear me on this. If we truly understand God's grace, then aren't we going to realize God's going to love me <laughs> whether I wake up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and have a quiet time or not, right? But what if I'm right there? What if I'm in sight of the finish line and I say, well, I don't have to do anything during God's favor, so I won't. I won't read the Bible. How's that going to help me? 
And then we'll start getting our instruction and our guidance from the world instead of God's word. If you've ever been in that spot, I guarantee it makes you want to turn around and run back to bondage. It's not good. Why don't we just break the tape? We're right there. Why don't we run through and live in the abundance that God desires for us in our personal relationship with him? Why don't we take advantage of this incredible opportunity we have as Christ followers to be with the God of the universe, to listen to him, to talk with him? Do we understand that's what we get to do? We can abide in him. We can let him guide us through the person of the Holy Spirit. But then we say, well, but do I have to do it every day, James? Well, where did we get this everyday thing? Do I seriously only want to hang out with God one time a day? <laughs> Shouldn't it be that I say, man, I want to abide. I want to be with you every minute of every day. Why would we put limits on that? Why don't we just break through the tape, live in the abundance that God desires for us? Because on the other side is where the rest is in relationship with him. We're at the finish line. We're done with our study in the book of Galatians. But here's my prayer, is that we'd never be done trying to grasp grace, ever. We're going to close our service today by taking communion together. Every time we get the chance to observe this ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we have this incredible opportunity to stop and remember grace. We get to pause and consider what God has done by sending his son to the cross. And we get to understand that he did that to provide the way for sinful people to be reconciled to a holy God. And so today, as we do that, as we remember the cross, we're going to take this intentional time to examine our hearts and confess our sins, and we can be right in relationship with him. So as we do that, here's my prayer, is that we'll be honest with God. He already sees our hearts anyway. And we'll tell him about where we are in regards to this finish line. Because he knows if we're camped out in the middle of the road or if we're right there at the finish line looking over or if we're living in abundance. That's the question for us. Do we profess to understand grace, but we still live as though we're under the law? Do we still struggle with liberty? Are we standing there at the finish line and we know God's abundance is right over there, but since I don't have to do anything to earn God's favor, I won't? Or maybe we're all in. Oh. That'd be so wonderful. Maybe we live like Paul, where when we boast, we boast in the cross. And then we understand when we're human, when we mess up, we can be like David. Because God's grace, set free at the cross, offers us mercy. Then we can rest in abundant love. So we're going to have some response time. We'll come and play some music. And, and then we're going to worship in song again. But please, take this time as a gift from God to be with him. And when you're ready, you can come. The communion elements are at the tables all around you if this is one of your first times here. Understand, please, if you're a guest, this is the Lord's Supper. It was designed by him for believers. It's not Kate Bible Chapel Supper. So as the music plays, you come. When you're ready, take the communion elements. Let me pray for our time. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to live as new creations. God, my prayer is help us to get it. <laughs> Help us to understand grace. Help us to live in abundance. It's what you desire for us, that we would grasp your grace and we wouldn't live just on the other side of abundance and think, well, I don't have to do anything. 
God, help us not feel like we have to do things to earn your favor. God, it would be so incredible to hear people that you've brought to this body say things like, I get to serve. I get to be in a small group. I get to make disciples. I get to share my faith. God, that's where we want to be. God, I pray for the bread and the cup. And as we pray now, I'm burdened for things that are going on in the world. Um, pray and thank you for my brother who reminded me of persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ in Iraq right now who are being murdered, their children beheaded, just atrocities, people being killed for not converting to a false religion. God, we lift those people to you right now. We understand you're sovereign. You're in control of all things. Help us to rest in relationship with you. Help us to hear from you and trust in you. God, we give this time to you. We love you so much. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.